welcome. First of all, welcome. This is Unsolicited Perspectives, and I am Bruce Anthony, your host, ready to dive into critical issues that's shaping the world. Join the conversation by subscribing, rating, reviewing, liking, commenting, sharing with friends, family, hell, even your enemies. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about can men and women be friends? Anti-Semitic and Islamic incidents throughout America. Narcissism. And my annoying ass neighbor. But that's enough of the intro. Let's get to the show. I had an interesting conversation today with one of my friends. Friends, client, friend. uh, Female client, friend. um, That asked me my opinion about something. And here's what she asked me my opinion about. Uh, she's had a male friend that she used to date years ago, but they've been friends for 15 years. Nothing's happened in 15 years. He's married. Uh, she was even invited to the wedding, but wasn't able to attend. And this weekend, her friend's wife reached out to her and said, Hey, woman to woman, I don't really appreciate the conversations that you're having with my husband. I would like it to stop. So I asked her, what type of conversations are you having with your husband? Like, what do you guys talk about? Do you guys talk about the same things that we talk about? I was like, do you talk about your dating life and stuff like that? She was like, yeah, you know, he's my friend. I talk to him about stuff. And I was like, "Mm, that's a little inappropriate. She's like, what do you mean? He's my friend. I can talk to him about stuff. I was like, yeah, within certain considerations. Look, when people are married, the dynamic between opposite sex, opposite gender friendships kind of have to change a little bit. You have to be cognizant of the fact that they're with somebody else and that union is supposed to be the union in which they share and talk about the majority of their secrets. Uh, Then I found out he was going to my friend and also talking about the marriage. And I'm like, yeah, the wife is going to feel some type of way about that. And my friend kept saying, but we're just friends. We're just friends. And it brought me to the question, can men and women be friends? Now, I've told everybody that listens to this podcast that my bestie is a female. We've been friends for 15 years. We've known each other for 15 years. Uh, We've been friends the whole time, but I would really say that we got tight, tight um, over the last seven, eight years um, where we really been like, we share just about everything with each other. And I have a history of having a lot of female friends. I always have. Um, and these female and these relationships with these females are not sexual, you know, 95% of the time I have never had sexual relations with them. There are a few 5% of the times where where I have, where we, where we were intimate or we were kind of trying to date and just realized that it wasn't going to work out as far as dating was concerned, but that we were really good friends and wanted to remain friends that has happened. And one of my really good friends, um, that I have a past with got married, has kids, my dynamic with her has changed. Whereas I would send her memes, you know, that were of a sexual nature just because my mind is a little perverted. <laughs> and like all of my friends that, that follow me on social media, that get my DMs. My mind's a little perverted. Um, so, you know, I send my female friends stuff, but I don't mean anything about it. It's just something that's funny. But I also know that my friend that's married that has a kid, I can't send that stuff to her anymore because it's kind of disrespectful to her and her situation. Um, so to answer the question, can men and women uh, be friends? Absolutely. Of course. Like I said, I have a 
bunch of females that are legitimately my friends, that there is no sexual interaction. There's just platonic friendship. Um, I think the reason why people have an issue with saying, and this is really, it's, it's more men saying this, but this is, you know, you hear some women saying this too, that men and women can't be friends. And I understand where that argument is coming from. Uh, the interests typically don't align. Look, men are really simple, really, really simple. We like fart jokes. <laughs> We're juvenile. We like sports. And a lot of women out there in the world don't really like that stuff because women tend to be more mature than men. This is like, I don't even know how you can dis the, the dispute that or argue that that standpoint. Are there examples where women are really immature? Yes. Cause I know a lot of women who like fart jokes. I send them, <laughs> I send my friend, my female friends fart jokes on Instagram. I know what they laugh at. This stuff is funny sometimes. Um, but sometimes interests don't align. Like you, you hear this idea of a guy's girl, right? Like that, that girl that's really in sport. I have a friend of mine. I have two female friends of mine that are really, really into sports more so than I am now, like really into sports. Uh, they are guys, girls. They also like guys, right? But, but there's a, there's a line between friendship and guys that they date. And then you have other guys out there who, who, you know, I, I've fallen into this kind of category where, you know, sports don't matter to me as much as they used to do. I'm not really into the barber barbershop conversation anymore. For those who out there who don't understand what the barbershop conversation is, you know, dumb debates that don't really matter. Like who's better, Michael Jordan or LeBron James? Like in the grand scheme of life, this debate does not matter at all. It's Michael Jordan, by the way. But like, like it does not matter. And I don't like having conversations like that anymore. I used to. I used to have these moronic conversations that go on. That's fueling industries. ESPN and Fox fuels this industry. There are people who legitimately take this type of stuff very, very seriously. And it matters to them. I'm just not one of those people. That stuff doesn't matter to me anymore. It used to. It does not. I have different interests. Some of my interests are the things that I like to talk about on this show. Things Issues that are shaping the world, uh, that matter on a day-to-day -day basis, politics, social issues, things like this. And I like to have those type of conversations. Some of my male friends is just, you know, sophomoric jokes. And don't get me wrong. I am immature just like the next person. But also I have this side of me that craves knowledge and wants to learn. And so I don't really always want to have these barbershop type talks. And so a lot of women aren't really into that type of stuff. So when people say men and women can't be friends, what they're essentially saying is a lot of times the interests don't align. And that is absolutely true. A lot of times the interests don't align, don't align, but there are times where the interests absolutely do align. Do men sometimes play the friend to slide in there to get closer to the girl? Yes. There's, I mean, the friend zone is a realistic thing. Have I ever been put in the friend zone? You know, this is, you will be talking about narcissism later on. And, uh, you know, there, there is a bit of an ego to even start your own podcast. So I, I don't consider myself a narcissist, but I guess, you know, as we'll discuss later, everybody has narcissistic tendencies. Um, yeah, there are times where I feel like what I'm saying is important. And these kind of, these kind of conversations are important. And yeah, no, like it, 
like I crave those type of situations. So this idea that the mutual interests don't align is not necessarily true. Sometimes men and women's interests can align. Um, so I refute that argument. Um, but back to the friend zone thing, have I ever been put in the friend zone? My ego says I've never been put in the friend zone because I can't remember the last time I, you know, went after a female and and did not get her, not in that type of when when I actually said I am interested in this female and that interest wasn't reciprocated. So I haven't fallen to the friend zone. I, I, I don't remember it. I, I'm sure. Nope. It's never happened to me, but I know it happens. I know it happens out there because so many of my female friends put guys in that, in that category. And so, yes, that is an absolute thing where those guys are biding time to wait for the girl. I don't know how often this happens because there's a very much a thing where men are not going to be put into that category of being a um, friend zoned. Uh, but it does absolutely happen. Those aren't the relationships that I'm talking about. I'm talking about real, honest, earnest, platonic relationships. Men and women definitely can have that. I am a prime example of that. Me and my bestie, tight, tight as a pair of gloves, uh, tighter than a pair of drawers on a fat person. Like we tight. Um, and also, whenever we're dating significant others, if it becomes really serious, we meet the significant others. I always make a point of meeting the men in her life that she's dating because I want them to know exactly where I stand. I'm not that dude in the friend zone waiting for my opportunity. This is my bestie. I love her to death. I want her to be happy. I'm not a threat, but I will break your nose and your chin if you disrespect her. But that's, that's you know, the conversation of can men and women Women be legitimate platonic friends. Yes. As long as the interests are aligned and and everybody understands that it's platonic friendship. Yes, absolutely. Uh, this is a weird detour, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, I have not broached this subject on this show, and that is the war that's going on in Gaza. I haven't talked about it on the main show. I have given my thoughts on it on a Patreon page on uh, the after I was on sister with my sister. I have stayed clear of this topic because nuanced conversation is very, very difficult to have about this subject. And I'm a nuanced individual. I often say I don't see things as binary. I don't see things as black and white. I see things, I see things in shades of gray. And once again, jumping in the theme of narcissism, I know not everybody can do that or wants to do that. Some people want to be in a black and white nature because people have an overwhelming need of being right. Uh, I don't care if I'm right or wrong. Uh, all I care about is if I am wrong, I want to learn why I'm wrong to get better. Uh, but what has happened here in this country are people choosing sides. And it's not solely just about this, right? We see it in politics with the right and the left, the conservative and liberal, the Democrat, Republican, right? Uh, we've always seen it throughout the history of this country between North and South, the East and West, like the divisions have always been a thing in this country. The problem is, as far as this war, this war in Gaza, is that people have drawn battle lines saying that if you are pro-Palestinian, you are anti-Israel. If you're pro-Israel, you're 
anti-Palestinian. Um, I don't think those things, I think, I think there is a place for a person or people to be anti-Hamas, pro-Palestinians, anti-state, Israel state, pro-Israelis. Let's take America, for example. As Americans, can we honestly say, looking at this country and look at the government and some of the things that we've done, that the United States hasn't been a little effed up in its history of actions of Americans and the actions of people abroad? You can say, hey, sometimes the American system has failed not only Americans, but also people who are non-Americans. Like you could say that. And you can say that legitimately, and that doesn't mean that you hate America. I just think that we need a little bit more nuance in these type of conversations, specifically with the fact of anti-Semitic actions, anti-Semitism, and Islamophobia, which are both running rampant right now. And it seems like each one is drowning out the other. There are a bunch of people pouring to the actions recently of... Islamophobia and uh, and ignoring the anti-Semitism that is also growing. And conversely, there are people pointing out the anti-Semitism, but not pointing out the Islamophobia. It's all happening. And it's happening on college campuses where, you know, college campuses have always been a breeding ground of thought, right? Going back to the Vietnam War, a lot of the major protests were at college campuses. And there were people protesting the Vietnam War protesting our involvement in it, protesting the government. That didn't mean that these people weren't patriots and didn't love their country. They just acknowledged the fact that in their eyes, their country was doing something wrong. And if you take out country, you take out religion, you take out politics. Let's make it something really simple for people to understand how you can love something, but still admit their flaws. Loved ones. We all have loved ones out there that we truly, truly love, but understand they're a little effed up in some of their actions and the things that they do. That doesn't mean that just because we call them out and their effed up actions that we don't love them. So why can't that be the same thing when you're talking about your political party or you're talking about the government or you're talking about this country? So you know, we have an incident at St. John's University, uh, an investigation into a flyer placed outside the University of Muslim Prayer Room depicting one of the hostages held by Hamas. You have the incident at Cornell University uh, involving the 21-year-old student Patrick Day uh, accused of making threats to harm Jewish students um, on a Greek-like form. Um, You have recently a Stanford University incident where an Arab, a Muslim, student was hit by a vehicle and they reported hit and run where the person hit them. And then as they were driving away, we're uh, yelling out obscenities, racist obscenities, uh, obscenities. And then you have the incident that happened in Chicago where the man who had was a friend of this Palestinian mother and child, this older white gentleman, 71 years old, was a friend, had been a friend for years, went and broke into the house, stabbed the mother, stabbed the stabbed a young child, under five years old, twenty six times, and killed him. Um, and it's all because people are not parsing the rhetoric, and you see it often in news, and I've said it oftentimes. My little brief 
you know, step into journalism in college where I learned the ultimate difference between reporting and commentating. I do commentating. Do I give you guys facts about what's going on? Absolutely. Do I give my own personal opinion about what I think about what's going on? Yes, that's called commentating. If I just solely gave you the facts, that's called reporting. NBC, MSNBC, Fox, OEN, CNN, whatever other, these are political commentaries. They're not reporting news. They're giving you news and then they're giving you their opinion on it. If you want news that's just giving you straight facts, in this country, ABC, CBS, and NBC News, not MSNBC, NBC News. These are news organizations. They give you the straight, raw, real facts about what's going on. Watch those if you want to know what's going on. When you read the newspaper, recognize the difference between what is reporting and what is commentary and people giving you their own personal opinions about what's going on, because that's going to sway your thinking one way or the other, no matter how enlightened of a thinking thinker that you are. And it's because not only these news organizations, but politicians, you know, I will say this for those people that are saying right, rightfully that there is a rise in anti-Semitism, which they are, it's, I mean, it's been the case for at least the last six, seven years, right? Um, but anti-Semitism has kind of always been a thing. For those people that are saying that, but not saying, but not also acknowledging the rise of Islamophobia, which has been a thing since 9-11 happened, really, and actually before that, but truly, truly in this country, 9-11. I want you to look at who your allies are. If your allies is Marjorie Taylor Greene, the same person who said there was Jewish space lasers, the same person that said the Democratic Party was being funded by George Soros, is she really an ally to you? And conversely, those people that, that are rightfully so saying that there is a rise in Islamophobia, more so now than maybe in the past 10 years because of what's going on in Gaza and not acknowledging also anti-Semitism. Once again, look at who your allies are. If they're saying it's one thing and not another, they're not giving you nuanced thought about what's going on, look at your ally. And if your ally has typically been against you or not supported your cause, what is the underlying reason that they are doing those things? Think about it. Pay attention to what's going on. Open your eyes. Be woke. Not what the right wants to consider woke is. Woke is being awakened to what's going on. Understanding what's going on and not walking around with blinders on. Um, understand what people are telling you. Go out there and get your own information. Learn your own facts. I gave a full history lesson on just the formation of Israel. Could I give a full history lesson on the entire Middle East? I could. That would be broken down over several shows because there's so much history there that I would have an easier time explaining the history of America than I would given out all of the details in the Middle East. It's just, it's a very, very vast, long history. It's more than what's happened since October the 7th, way more. I told you it goes all the way back to 1948, okay? 1948. 
my parents weren't even born then. I wasn't even a twinkle in my parents' eye because they weren't even born. And that's how far back it goes. So I say all of that. I said all of that to say this. Pay attention to where you're getting your facts. Search out your own facts. And if you think you got the right answer, research the opposing viewpoint. That's all I have to say. And and <laughs> the hate. We got to do better. We got to do better. We have to do better to love one another. I don't hate anybody. Nobody. I well, there is there is one person that I do hate. It's a former client. I'm not going to get real specific, but I I do hate this person. It's the only person that I that I've hated. Uh, you know, it, it, maybe in my adult life, I do hate that person. And I will honestly, and y'all will find out later on in the episode. I am not very fond of my neighbor. Uh, but hate is a very strong word to say my to say about my neighbor. But no matter what, no matter what I feel about those two people, I don't want anything bad to happen to them. And that's really the argument here is making sure that we're being kind to one another, because at the end of the day, when we take our last breath, only thing I want people to say about him is Bruce was an upstanding, honest, good person. That's it. And doesn't, doesn't everybody kind of want that? Hey there, podcast listeners. It's Bruce Anthony here, and welcome to another episode of Unsolicited Perspectives. Today, I want to talk to you about something that's been on my mind lately, the importance of staying hydrated and taking care of ourselves. Whether it's prioritizing our health and wellness or gearing up for festival seasons or just gearing up for whatever season or time of year, there's one brand that's been my go-to for all things hydration, Liquid IV. Speaking of health and wellness, let's dive into how Liquid IV can fuel your well-being. Imagine starting your day off right, feeling refreshed and energized. Liquid IV Hydration Multiplier is the missing piece in your daily routine. With just one stick, you get five essential vitamins and two times faster hydration than water alone. It's perfect for those early mornings, pre-workout boosts, moments when you're just feeling run down, or even after a late night or long flights. I absolutely love how convenient Liquid IV is. The packaging makes it easy to bring with me wherever I go. And let me tell you, it's become vital daily part of my routine. The flavors, <laughs> let me tell you something, they're incredible. From refreshing sea berry and strawberry lemonade to classics like lemon lime and watermelon, there's a flavor for every preference. It's like a burst of hydration with a hint of deliciousness. Picture this. One stick of liquid IV mixed in 16 ounces of water, hydrating you two times faster and more efficient than water alone. And with 12 mouthwater and flavors, you'll never get bored with your hydration routine. Plus, liquid IV is packed with five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and of course, vitamin C. It's also made with premium ingredients, non-GMO, free of gluten, dairy, and soy. This is hydration at its finest, but it doesn't stop there. Liquid IV believes that access to clean and abundant water is the foundation of a healthier world. That's why they partner with leading organizations finding innovative solutions to help communities protect both their water and their futures. It's incredible to know that Liquid IV has already donated over 39 million servings in 50 plus countries around the world. They truly walk the talk. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code unsolicited at checkout. 
That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code unsolicited at liquidiv.com. Remember folks, taking care of ourselves should always be a priority. So why wait? Head over to liquidiv.com, pick your favorite flavors and experience hydration like never before. Stay refreshed, stay hydrated, and keep rocking those unsolicited perspectives. I read an interesting article in the USA Today about narcissism. Uh, I'll get to that in a moment, but I, I wanted to give a little brief uh, background on what narcissism is because I, I see a lot of people, a lot of people throwing this word around to describe other people and really don't understand the meaning behind it. And there is, as I will explain later, there is a spectrum of narcissism, but this word gets thrown around a little too much. So I'm going to give you guys just a little bit of definition, just a little bit of facts of what narcissism is and what a narcissist is. So narcissism is a self-centered personality style preoccupied with oneself, often at the expense of others. Pay attention to that last phrase. It's okay if a person is preoccupied with oneself, we become wrapped up in our own heads all the time, but it's when it's at the expense of others. Um, associated with excessive self-love, vanity, and key here is a lack of empathy. NPD or narcissistic personality disorder is a mental health condition characterized by an unreasonable high self of importance, attention-seeking behavior, and of course, once again, a lack of empathy for others. Symptoms of NPD. Boastfulness, exaggeration of achievements, once again, a lack of empathy, feeling superior, etc. Um, narcissism is viewed on a spectrum with most people scoring near the middle. So basically, everybody is a little bit narcissistic. There's a difference between being a little bit narcissistic and having a narcissistic disorder. Uh Individuals may exhibit narcissistic traits without having full-blown uh, narcissistic personality disorder. So once again, like I said, you, I have to, I have to be somewhat of a narcissist to have the ego to start the show, to have the ego to think that you people want to hear my unsolicited perspectives on a variety of topics. There's a little bit of narcissism, a little bit of self-righteousness, self-righteousness, self-importance. Uh, for somebody to even do something like this. But that's in a lot of different things. To be an actor, to be a politician, to be a lawyer, to be a doctor. These these are all things that you kind of, you got to have a little bit of narcissism to say, I'm going to save somebody's life or I'm going to entertain somebody. There's a little bit of that in there. But once again, everybody has these characteristics. All, it's all put on the spectrum. Um, the, the key for to really having a personality disorder is not the sole focus on yourself, but really the lack of empathy or importance for others. So like I said, I was reading this article and the article is called the narcissism is narcissism genetic narcissists are made, not born how to keep your kid from becoming one by Charles uh, Tripani uh, on the USA today. I felt that this was really, really fascinating because like nobody wants, I have a lot of friends now that have kids. You know, I've got another friend that's got a kid that's going to be born by the end of this month. Uh, shout out to the, the second little Lily that I'm going to know. Um, and all parents just want to raise their kids to be well-adjusted 
adults. No parent wants to raise their kid to be narcissists. There's so many people who are narcissists. I don't know if they really want to be narcissists, but it was your environment and the way you was raised and this is how you came out to be this way. So um, the article pointed out the development of narcissism in environments are overindulgent and external achievements and underindulgement and empathy and compassion. So, uh, you know, ways children grow up to become narcissists is overindulgence and superficial attributes. Um, things like, you know, you're, you're attractive, right? Your kid, you tell your kids all the time, you're very good looking, you know, you're so smart. Um, and, and you put, you put a lot of praise on things that, that don't really matter, like, uh, achievement in sports, maybe even achievement, achievement in school. Achievement in school is important, but the sole focus shouldn't be achieving in school. It should be coming, it should be becoming a better person. And part of becoming a better person is respecting other people. You'll understand the general theme that I have on today's show of respecting other people, whether it's my friend respecting her friend's wife, whether it's uh, everybody respecting each other's religion and ethnicity, whether it's uh, respecting people's uh, privacy and space. These are all things that I constantly push on the show is empathy. People could tell you their story. You may not have understanding, but you can always have empathy for whatever that person is telling you. Um, the article goes on to say, uh, say strategies to prevent narcissism in children is modeling empathy. Once again, you have to teach your kids uh, empathy. And one of the ways that you could teach your kids empathy is by being empathetic. One of the ways that my parents taught us the three of us, me and my brother, sister, how to be empathetic. And I would say a lot of people that know me say I'm extremely empathetic, maybe a little too much um, that I didn't set boundaries in my personal life. But uh, one of the ways my parents did it, whenever there was somebody in need, both of my parents went out of their way to help people in need where there was no benefit to them, right? Whether it was taking care of special needs kids or helping families get on their feet, or donations, or food drives, or what have you. They always, always found ways to help people less fortunate, find either less fortunate financially, emotionally, mentally, academically. They always found ways to help. Whether or not my brother and sister, whether or not we realized it at the time, that was making an imprint on us. And all of us try to find ways to help other people. Now, we're no superheroes, right? We're like, we're no superheroes. I had a couple of friends tell me certain things that I could do to help the youth. And it's like, all right, you know, I could do those things like being a big brother, but I don't really want to be a big brother. Like, I, I rarely have time for my little cousins and my goddaughter, like to, to go into another person's life and be responsible as being the male role model or figure in their life is a bit much. That's a, that's a big undertaking. I don't know if I'm really willing to do this. I'll donate some money though. I'll do this, donate some money in a minute and I'll go and give speeches, but like donating a lot of time, like that's, that's a real commitment. So I don't know about that, but empathy, teaching your kids empathy, and the way that you teach your kids empathy from what this article is saying is that you got to show empathy. So I, I'll get to the next story that's a little, that's really sad. But in this, 
in the previous segment when I talked about anti-Semitism and Islamophobia, one of the ways that you could show empathy, specifically if you're in a group towards the other or you're not in either one of those groups, is to just shut up and listen and can't have understanding, but have empathy of whatever the plight is going through. And that's anywhere in life. Somebody tells you that they're going through something, shut up, listen. That's all you got to do. You're not going to understand it most of the time. You're not going to be able to identify with it most of the time. But you can always respect what a person's plight and struggle is, and that's empathy. Um, So model empathy, teaching consideration for others' feelings, which falls in line with uh, being empathetic, fostering authentic interests. So, you know, a lot of people have these super superficial interests. One of my superficial interests that I've kind of tailed off on are Jordans. You know, I, I used to really, really love buying Jordans. Still got a ridiculous amount of Jordans that I have for shoes. Um, but that's not an authentic interest. Uh, an authentic interest would be this. This is an authentic interest, whether I'm producing the show, doing the show, doing post-production on the show, scripting shows, conducting interviews. This is a general interest and it's bringing something to the table besides something superficial, right? Like I'm learning. So, you know, oftentimes we call these things hobbies, but they have real value. If, if, if my mom likes doing arts and crafts, she gets off on that. Um, it makes her feel good. That's a authentic interest. Um, so shopping is not an authentic interest. So to make sure that in your kids, you're developing authentic, authentic interest. It, it, I mean, authentic interest can be a sport, but also it has to, you know, try to try to interject something else to your, to your kids that isn't superficial because do they love the sport or, do they play the sport because mommy or daddy likes them playing the sport, right? So that's what they're talking about. Is it truly an authentic interest or is it a superficial interest? Are you doing it because you're getting something from your parents, whether it's praise, attention, what have you, but you don't really have any strong interest in it? Uh, I learned when I got to college, I did not love basketball. I really liked it. Now, if you had asked me in high school, I would have told you that I loved basketball. And if you asked anybody who knew me in high school or my family members, they would say that I love basketball. When I got to college, I realized I liked the attention basketball gave to me because I was, you know, I had some skills. I had the boy, the brother had some skills, right? I love the attention. When I realized that the work was going to be increased in college and that you're going to have to give up on personal life, like time to hang out with your friends, time to go, you know, holler at women or something like that. And that it needed to be focused on your number one goal was to play basketball. I was no longer interested in playing basketball anymore. It was a superficial interest. It wasn't an authentic interest. So these are the examples I'm, I'm trying to think. What, what is the gratification that you get from the interest? Uh, is it, Superficial or is it authentic? That's what they're talking about to model uh, fostering authentic interest for your children. You got to be open to f- open with feelings and spending quality time. This is a major thing for me. I, I, I don't have any kids. It's really tough for me to give parenting advice, but I have been somebody else's child. 
And I, I am, uh, not an uncle, but a, a pseudo uncle to like second cousin. I'm a godfather. Uh, I'm a uncle, adopted uncle, or, or not adopted uncle, uncle to my, to my friend's children. Um, I see how everybody raises their children and, and I can say for me personally, and every child, there is no blueprint on how to raise every child because every child is different, right? I would say, and my parents tried a universal generic way with all of us that didn't really work. My brother and sister, if, if you told them what to do, they would just do it. No questions asked. I was more that person. Okay. Why? Bruce, don't put your hand on that stove. I'm a little kid. Why? Because I told you so. Well, that wasn't a sufficient enough answer for me. So I put my hand on the stove. That's just an example, but that's what my life was. I, I wasn't talking back, which is what a lot of parents of my generation would say. Stop talking back. Children are to be seen, not heard. It's not a good raise, good way to raise a kid because that means that they have to shut off their emotions and their feelings. That means they they keep it all inside, which is really not good. That means that they don't have a safe space to be open and talk and that carries you on in adult life. Trust me, I know because I've had therapy and it's one of my major issues is that I'm not open with people, uh, that I don't tell people what's going on. They are still, there was something that uh, happened a couple of months ago that I still, close close people that know me still don't know what happened. And it's just because I'm private, you know, I just don't talk about that type of stuff. So you need to have, you need to be open with your children, not be afraid to have those tough conversations because they make you uncomfortable because you're not doing your kids. You're doing your kids a disservice by not having those type of conversations and spending real genuine quality time. I'll never forget when I was around, I don't know, 10 years old. Um, my mom went to my dad and said, you know, your son is pretty interesting, cool kid. You don't really know him. You should try to spend time with him outside of just being the person that raises him. Not saying that my dad wasn't a good dad because he was a great dad, but he just, he knew my interests at that time. I, you know, I like playing a little bit of sports and I like playing with, I liked wrestling and playing with my wrestling men, but he didn't, he didn't know like what I thought. If I, if I had thoughts, what my thoughts were, what was going on in my head? Did I, did I have a, what did I think about? I don't know anything, right? Like they didn't really have those conversations. The kids are a lot smarter than adults give them credit for. Kids observe everything and they learn. Kids are a lot smarter. You can have you can have a real conversation. I mean, real. You can have a real conversation with a kid. Not talking about uh, the the dynamics of the Middle East. Like they're not going to understand that. But you can have a realistic conversation with a kid uh, about you know things that most parents would think are too grown up to have. And kids will understand it and be able to have feelings and opinions. Right. I mean, it's not very informed opinions because they're only five, six, seven, you know, 13, 14 in, in the high school years. But as as these kids get older, parents need to realize these kids are way smarter than us as kids because they have access to way more information than we did as kids. We were restricted to our encyclopedia. That's what we were restricted to. They have had Google all of their lives. And while we used to argue back and forth, back and forth over subjects, 
without really being able to get the right answers, like who was the actor in uh, Beverly Hills Cop 2, right? Who was the villain in Beverly Hills Cop 2? We can go back and forth, back and forth that, about that. But until we went to the video store to go rent the movie and watch the movie, there was no clear-cut answer to our, our debate. Now these kids like, well, Google it. And they had the answers to the debates, to questions right then and there. So these kids are a lot smarter. You can have really in-depth conversations with them, especially when they get to high school. And I'm getting really agitated at millennials, boomers, Gen Xers that dismiss Gen Z for having thoughts and opinions about social issues, political issues, things of this nature, because at that age, these millennials, Gen Z, boomers didn't have those type of thoughts. Well, it's in the face of, of this younger generation of Gen Z. They have a voice, they have an opinion, and it's way more informed than what our voices would have been at the same time. So um, yes, spend quality time and, and talk to these kids and foster the growth of knowledge. Um, the knowledge of others is the main thing, knowledge of the unknown. And, and, and you could potentially raise a kid that's not uh, narcissistic. Now, there is some things that I did learn from this article and that your personality tends to be uh, relatively set at the age of 25 um, and childhood experiences heavily influence the development of narcissistic traits. So how we were raised in our environment determines how we're going to come out. And at 25, our personality is pretty much set. I will say that the basis, the basic core of my personality, the, 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 the person that, that had thoughts that did like to think, did like to learn, um, those thoughts have evolved and changed and become more enlightened. Um, but that person is still there. That sophomore humor clown is still there that wants to laugh and have a good time. He's still there. That that person that cares for other people is still there. I was that at 25 years old. I'm that now at 43. The base of me has not changed. What has changed is my thought processes on life. And, like my thinking has evolved. So you, you, that will evolve. But your personality is pretty much is the way it is. And I know this because I have friends that I've known for over 20 over 20 years, probably about 25 years, um, they're basically the same. Like they're, they're basically the same. And I joke with them and I'm like, bro, you were the same person that I met uh, back when I was 16 years old. And they're like, yeah, you ain't changed it. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. You ain't changed it. And I'm pretty much the same person, still private, still kind of a loner, uh, but still there if you need me. So that's uh, narcissism. And I thought that was really interesting. Up next, I'm going to balance out this last segment by talking about something really sad that also focuses in on narcissism and talking about something that's annoying that could potentially be funny that also focuses on narcissism. So, as y'all know, I stay in the news, not not me personally, but I stay in you know, reading the news, consuming the news, watching the news, uh, not only for content for the show, because when you do two shows a week and one of those shows is by yourself, by the way, we're going to be coming back to interviews shortly. But I had to stretch of shows that I, I want to do to get back to how this all started. But when you uh, when you're doing a show twice a week and then more shows behind a, a paywall, uh, you need content. So I'm constantly reading the news and something really sad came across my uh, timeline. 
So Mayor F.L. Bubba Copeland uh, was a mayor in a town in Alabama, and he committed suicide. Uh, the, the name of the town uh, escapes me. But why did he commit suicide? Why did this mayor and pastor uh, commit suicide? Well, a conservative website, 1819, I believe it was, uh, the name of the website, posted pictures of him um, dressing up in women's clothes and wearing makeup. And supposedly, um, well, not supposedly, the the shame uh, of this was too much for him to bear and he committed suicide. Why did I bring up narcissism in this? Because what type of a person do you have to be to purposely try to destroy another person's life for what more or less amounts to a political campaign? And this isn't uncommon. Uh, here in the state of Virginia, a state delegate, um, a Democratic state delegates, um, information was released by a Republican operative that she had done basically sex work online uh, to discredit her, to humiliate her, to embarrass her. Um, same thing happened a couple of years ago with a uh, congresswoman that was running in the state of Pennsylvania, I believe, that, uh, you know, had been a, a, an exotic dancer before and, you know, to try to do smear tactics. Now, certain smear tactics I get as politicians, right? You want to attack somebody's record. You want to bring up the fact that they've lied about something as far as being political, uh, that they said, hey, this is what I'm for. And they actually voted against it. And, and they don't have a justifiable argument for the reason why they voted against it. You want to pull somebody's card on that. Cool. That's all in the politics game. But to purposely try to ruin a person's life just to win a race, this politics is life and death, but the people associated with it is not life and death. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. Policies that are put in place by politicians that affects people's lives is about life and death. When you put out there that you are going to restrict abortion access, no matter what the situation is for that abortion, you are affecting somebody's life. And that realistically can come life or death. So what politicians are responsible for is life and death. However, they're not important in their own right. What I mean by that is what they do is important, but they're not so important. Like you are not so important to think that you should have control over another person's life. I know you're creating policies that are going to affect a person's life, but there's a difference between having an effect on somebody's life and controlling somebody's life. When you put restrictions of what people can and can't do, that's controlling somebody's rights, especially when you're taking away their human rights. That's narcissism. When you only care about you and not at the and it it's at the expense of others. That's narcissism. The narcissistic person or people that release this information 
knowing that he was a mayor and a pastor and what he did in his own life did not pertain to those two things. Last I checked in the Bible, it doesn't say that it's a sin to wear women's clothing or makeup. Not a sin. I didn't, not that I know of. Did that in the comforts of his own home. Didn't do it out in the streets. But it's, a, it's creating this narrative that's been going around about people who are trans and, and cross-dressing and trans isn't the same thing. Drag and trans isn't necessarily the same thing. I've learned that there are heterosexual straight men who also dress in drag. How? We know this because what do you consider Tootsie? What do you consider Shanene? What do you consider Big Mama's house? These are men dressing up in women's clothing and wearing makeup. Uh, what was it? Dustin Hoffman was Tootsie. So I already said that one. But Mrs. Doubtfire, like th these are men, heterosexual, straight men dressing up as women. So to, to, to say that, you know, cross-dressing, cross-dressing, I don't think it's the right word, but drag and trans and how, and somehow that leads to, to, traumatizing or affecting kids or grooming kids. And, and I would say that the argument for grooming kids is better for him being a pastor because there's more cases of people in the religious community molesting kids than there are actually people in drag. But I, without knowing that that is the, the motive behind the reason why this was released, I absolutely wholeheartedly believe in my unsolicited perspective that that was the reason why this was released. It affected a man so much that he couldn't bear to live any longer and he killed himself. And I wonder, I wonder, do those people that released that information have any empathy, any sadness that they caused this man to kill himself? They're probably, eh, I'm giving my unsolicited perspective again, they're probably happy or gloating. Because you got to know that there's some responsibility when you try to ruin a person's life, that this, things can go sideways. Committing suicide is not a, a, you know, a thing that you just wake up in the morning and you just do. Something that has been building over time. The fear of this coming out because he knew it was coming out before it came out. Uh, and then it actually coming out. It was just too much for him to bear. Um, that's narcissism when you really don't care about the other person. Uh, and you're just going to do whatever the hell you want to do anyway. Um, this is a weird, another weird segue. And I've, I've been a whole host of them today. Narcissism, my neighbor. All right. This is the same neighbor that, that wrote me those letters. So she's a little off. Um, she adopted a dog, which is a good thing, right? She adopted a dog. This is a good thing. Um, okay. So I'm telling this story. And it might be a little personal. Um, and, and that may be the reason why I'm feeling a certain way. But, but also, it's also very annoying. So for y'all that are longtime listeners, everybody knows that uh, I, I had a dog. Uh, his name was Crypto. I unfortunately had to put Crypto down uh, the day after Labor Day. Um, he was sick. I'm not going to talk about that. Uh, let's just say it's affected a brother a little bit. Um, still not over it. That was my main man. He's been with me for 13 years. My neighbor has adopted a dog. This wasn't the first dog that she adopted. She adopted one dog that my other neighbor was fostering. 
And I guess she didn't get along with the dog or the dog wasn't good enough for her. So she returned that dog and found another dog that she's happy with. And I'm happy for her. I feel like if you could find that loyal and loving companion that loves you unconditionally, because let me tell you something, dogs are the only thing that will love you unconditionally. Pets, no other pet will love you unconditionally. People don't love you unconditionally, but your dog is going to love you unconditionally. Um, so that's great that she has that that new connection. But she does this little annoying thing where, like I said, she's directly my next door neighbor. And she decides that instead of playing in her house with the dog, with the dog's little squeaky, mind you, I had a dog. He did just pass away. I had a squeaky that I would throw and toss with him in the house. He loved that squeaky. I had to buy him a bunch of squeaky squeakies because he would always break them, right? Love that squeakies. Dogs love squeakies, right? But in the house, it's cool. She does it in the hallway. And the building I live in was built in 2007, 2008. It's pretty sturdy. I do not hear my neighbors. My neighbors pretty much don't hear me, right? But you can hear out in the hallway because our front doors have, you know, just a little bit of space off the ground so the tr- sound can travel in. And she's playing with the dog, squeaking, throwing the dog, throwing the you know, the squeaker back and forth, you know, dogs going and catching it. And I find it extremely annoying. Now, is there a personal thing because I just lost my dog? Maybe. But also, if I didn't have a dog, if I hadn't lost crypto and crypto was still here, that would be driving him absolutely nuts. He'd be barking. He'd be going crazy because there's a squeaky and another dog right outside his door. It, It gives off. I don't care about my neighbors. I want to just do this. And this is what I'm going to do. And um, there's a bit of narcissism that, that comes with that, where you really don't care about, like, like how would, could you not think about the people that you're living with in their surroundings? Especially when you're quick to bring out the fact that you're annoyed about something, that you're annoyed about something that your neighbors do. She doesn't hesitate to write a little post on a community uh, uh, web board about other neighbors and what they're doing and how much she's annoyed, no matter how small it is and nobody else notices. She's quick to point out how she's annoyed by other neighbors, but can't can't see how she's annoying the hell out of us by playing with her dog in the hallway with the squeaky. I do not like this person. I do not like this person. I can't stress this enough. Hate, no, I don't hate this person, but I do not like this person. This person is extremely annoying, not solely because of the letters, which was annoying in and of itself, which makes me feel extremely uncomfortable because like I said, directly neighbor, the direct neighbor, but now doing this in the hallway with the dog and it's been an everyday occurrence. She does it all the time. I'm, I might report to the authorities. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not no snitch. I'm not going to report to the authorities, but we are going to have to have a conversation because I can't, I can't deal with that. I can't. I'm just in my living room trying to enjoy whatever I'm trying to enjoy. You know, whether it's Loki or Power or that show Invincible, you know, or just sitting in there, just being in my own thoughts or, you know, preparing for preparing for this show. I shouldn't have to deal with that. Respect your neighbors. Respect us and our personal space. Narcissism. That's what it's all about, ladies and gentlemen. People are narcissists. I don't give a damn about this else. But on that note, and this uh, long, long show about people only giving a damn about themselves. Once again, I want to remind you people out there to listen to me, to subscribe to our YouTube page. We are growing in numbers. I'm really happy about that. We need more. I want more. 
more power <laughs> that was weird no but i just would like to reach as many people as i possibly can so if you're watching on youtube share it to your friends maybe they like it maybe they maybe they won't like it but still share it don't forget to like and comment uh comments on our instagram on our youtube whatever now not all comments get through because there's a lot of hate out there but you know something insightful you want to have a conversation please comment um like and subscribe and share and all that good stuff i want to thank all of you guys out there for supporting us me and my sister everybody behind the scenes um which is basically me uh and my sister but just thank you thank you um for being there with us supporting that 100th episode is coming up we're going to do something i don't know what we're going to do yet we're going to do something if y'all got some suggestions out there for what we should do for the 100th episode let us know Shoot us, a, shoot us a message at unsolicitedperspectives.com and let us know what you would like us to do for our 100th episode. Um, but yeah, once again, I can't stress it enough. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And until next time, as always, I'll holler. Woo! That was a hell of a show. Thank you for rocking with us here on Unsolicited Perspectives with Bruce Anthony. Now, before you go, don't forget to follow, subscribe, like, comment, and share our podcast wherever you're listening or watching it to it. Pass it along to your friends. If you enjoy it, that means the people that you rock will enjoy it also. So share the wealth, share the knowledge, share the noise. And for all those people that say, well, I don't have a YouTube. If you have a Gmail account, you have a YouTube. Subscribe to our YouTube channel where you can actually watch our video podcast. But the real party is on our Patreon page. After Hours Uncensored and Talking Straight-ish. After Hours Uncensored is another show with my sister. And once again, the key word there is uncensored. Those are exclusively on our Patreon page. Jump onto our website at unsolicitedperspective.com for all things us. That's where you can get all of our audio, video, our blog blogs and even buy our merch and if you're really feeling genuine and want to help us out you can donate on our donations page donations go strictly to improving our software and hardware so we can keep giving you guys good content that you can clearly listen to and that you can clearly see so any donation would be appreciated most importantly i want to say thank you thank you thank you for listening and watching and supporting us and i'll catch you next time Audi 5000, peace.